Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. And welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the overlap of coercion, control, and pornography. But before we jump into that topic, I'd like to remind you of PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community, and it is full of resources that I know you're going to want to take advantage of. If you are benefiting from the things you hear and learn on the PeaceWorks podcast, then PeaceWorks University is your best next step. You can learn more about PeaceWorks University by visiting chrismoles.org. All right, so today we're going to turn once again to questions that were submitted by listeners, and this is in reference to a recent podcast, and the questioner says, you briefly mentioned in an episode of the PeaceWorks podcast that pornography use by an abuser can be a means or method of control. Can you expand on this idea? In all the resources about abuse that I've researched, No one has ever tied in the use of porn as a means of control and abuse. Well, thank you for the question. And I think maybe to set this up, it might be important to remind us um, and to have this discussion first, because when it comes to the concept of abuse, I will get some serious pushback, in particular from pastors, often uh, from men, who will, who will say things or accuse me of things like, well, Chris, by your definitions, by your consideration, anything is abuse or everything is abuse. And I think the, the issue there, the, the problem, is that often individuals hear me give descriptions or examples of what has been abusive and behaviors that have coerced and controlled and how many of those behaviors can be from severe, reckless, wicked, all the way down to seemingly innocent or innocuous. So the idea of the uh, criticism is that anything can be abuse. And the answer to that is, well, yes, any behavior can be abusive based upon intent and impact in history. And so a classic example of that would be someone who says, well, Chris, according to you, you know, how I do the laundry can be abusive. And my response would be, well, not necessarily, not in general. Laundry in and of itself is not abusive. But do you have a history in which the laundry has somehow been connected to your coercion and control? You see, that does make a difference. If leaving your dirty socks on the floor or not putting your um, dirty clothes into the hamper properly or uh, using the washer and dryer in your home has been tied or linked to coercive control, abuse and violence and force, it may very well be innocent to an outsider, but tremendously painful to a victim because behaviors that are innocent or um, eccentric or weird may just may seem um, as just something to be overlooked, but in an abusive relationship can be incredibly dangerous uh, and destructive. Uh, I've told the story many times of an individual who used cabinet doors as signals to his partner. 
the marriage counselor in that case, had no clue the significance of the cabinet doors and seen it as a marital conflict. But once you pulled the rope and gained history, uh, something simple uh, was much more than marital conflict. It had engaged and involved uh, previous strangulation. And so, no, in and of itself, things are not necessarily abusive. Um, They could be uh, explainable. But within the context of power and control and coercion, many things can be coercive. And that brings us to the topic today. The questioner is looking for a tie-in between pornography use and coercion and control. And there are many ways in which um, the use or abuse of porn can tie into an individual's coercion and control. Now, granted, there are the big rocks that most people are able to move as we're discussing this topic. Pornography objectifies women, generally speaking. It also sexualizes violence to a great degree. And so there is within um, pornography and hypersexualized media uh, an already existing problematic worldview that is being communicated and assimilated uh, to consumers and by consumers that women are of less value that sexual intimacy is uh, violent in many ways and selfish um, in many ways. And so there are inherent problems within that, as it were. But specifically to the question, can pornography use be coercive? And certainly the answer is yes. I'll give you some examples that I have seen uh, in the work that I've done with perpetrators. And the first would be forced participation forced participation. And, and for many, that's something you want to pull the rope on when you're dealing with things regarding sexual coercion and sexual violence. When there is a history of pornography use and it being highly valued by the abusive partner, it's not outside of um, the scope of this particular work to hear about forced participation, filming uh, one's partner, requiring them to participate in certain fantasies and um, against their will or to a great amount of discomfort and displeasure. And yet it does happen, and it gives an individual permission, the abuse, the violence, the pride, giving them permission to force individuals into undesirable, uncomfortable um, situations in which they normally would not engage in. And I've seen that expand, and I won't go too far uh, just for the sake of this being a podcast, but you can extrapolate that into a multiplicity of other behaviors that include infidelity and gross violations of the marriage covenant, uh, all beginning uh, within this idea of pornography use and abuse and forced participation. Uh, another avenue is forced viewing. Uh, forcing one's partner to participate in viewing uh, said material and engaging with that material and criticizing and ridiculing uh, the partner if they don't. To me, that's incredibly coercive, and it's also sexually assaultive in many ways because you're violating this covenant and sexual relationship that you and your partner have. And so forced participation, forced viewing, the word forced should give us an indicator of how problematic 
uh, this behavior is. So when the questioner asks, you know, I heard you say this, what are some ways anytime our partners coerce us, force us, or demean, diminish in order to attain some kind of desirable response, especially in this area of violating one's conscience by participating in an act that we're not comfortable with or we're opposed to, or viewing individuals in a setting and, and, and media and consuming a product that we fundamentally disagree with or we believe is objectifying, um, and we're coerced to do that, then our conscience is being violated and certainly power is being abused in that dynamic. And so that would be a couple ways. Another would be guilt tripping uh, through using the images and the stimuli associated with that to, to guilt trip one's partner in their own relationship, comparing, uh, contrasting, criticizing based upon you know media that's been viewed and guilt tripping can lead to all kinds of associative, abusive, and controlling acts like manipulation, isolation, minimization, denial, blame. It can also lead to acts of coercion and threat um, that is very common among individuals who practice uh, abusive behaviors and who have that heart of pride, especially in the area of the sexual relationship. You know, laying a guilt trip uh, on one's partner can be a way in which coercive control finds its way into that discussion and is wielded um, powerfully against the partner to conform, to give in, to, um, to placate. And that has a lot to do with approval. So this is something that you'll see quite a bit is I want to continue consuming this material that you find offensive, that can, you know, contradicts the heart of God that objectifies people made in the image of God. But I want to continue to participate in this despite our faith, our position, and your discomfort. Um, and so I'm going to lay a guilt trip on you in order to continue to do whatever I want to do. And that's problematic, especially when those guilt trips escalate to the point of um, resistance, where a partner resists the guilt tripping. I'm not going to feel guilty about confronting you on this. I'm going to continue to confront you on this because I believe it is wrong, to which an abusive partner will respond with um either isolation, intimidation, manipulation. Once that's resisted, it could escalate again to the point of direct threat or even harm. And so that would be a way in which um, this issue of pornography use becomes coercive and controlling. A, a fourth way beyond forced participation, forced viewing, guilt tripping, could be blame shifting, uh, where this problem you know, viewing pornography could be the primary problem. And um, uh, an individual could shift their entire focus on, well, this is my real problem, and you should have more compassion, guilt tripping. You should help me remedy this problem. Uh, but it doesn't address the heart of coercion or control. It doesn't address all the other things that I've been doing to kind of get my way. And and th you might see this blame-shifting uh, use of control as a means of maintaining power after a partner has resisted uh, to the point of um, to the point of no return. It's like I'm done dealing with this. 
you you have to stop guilt tripping me and forcing me into this and uh, making me watch this and criticizing me when I don't. And you have to quit comparing me to others. And a partner comes back and says, yeah, you're right. This is the real problem is me viewing this. Let me get some help. Not addressing at all, all of the sin um, of coercion and control that has been compounded upon the partner, but only addressing the sin of um, consumption, as it were, using and abusing uh, pornography as the real problem. It doesn't really address the heart. It doesn't really boil down to the fact that I have been using this particular vice to control you. And that, I think, is really at the heartbeat of this question, is anything that the heart desires in the hands of an abusive individual can can be coercive or controlling, can be power over, can be destructive. And it just so happens that pornography is already within its very nature destructive and objectifying. And so when we want that so badly to continue to do what we want to do, then we will use anything, including this, to coerce and to control one's partner. Now, why haven't you seen it tied into Abuse, And I think the reason why is because abuse primarily at its very heart and nature is about control. I think most of us who've been in the work for a long time uh, really make hay with abusive individuals when we identify control as being the primary motivation. I want to control my partner. I want to control circumstances. I want to control outcomes. I want to control my life. I want to be left alone. I want peace and quiet. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And so we rarely tie co-occurring issues directly to control, but we see them uh, primarily or um, associatively with this idea of just another means of control. Now, pornography is unique, as I said, in that it has its own inherent base of problems that are so closely associated with the abuse, objectification, dehumanization, uh, trivialization of sexuality, and sexual violence. Those are definitely uh, accelerants, gasoline to the fire of abuse, as, as it were. However, uh, you, tend to, you don't tend to see them tied together directly as much because we, again, focus in on control. And there are other things, uh, misogyny being one, that uh, the belief systems about women having less value in general are uh, something that you will see tied occasionally to abuse, um, but still control is at the heart of that, and it's manifested itself through certain belief systems. You'll also see that, say, in some aspects of faith, in spiritual abuse, uh, in certain positions regarding patriarchy, you'll see that, and, and all of it damaging. But again, I think the primary way to address that is to come back and address that heart of violence, the heart of pride, the heart of power, control, coercion, and threat. And in doing so, you can really uncover a lot of other uh, deep-seated beliefs and worldviews that are inconsistent uh, with that of Christ. And of course, pornography use would fall into those categories as well. So I, I think the questioner is right on um, to ask, you know, how does how is it connected? And then why is it not connected more often? And I think the last point on that, why isn't it connected more often, is I think we want to be careful 
not to make it causative, meaning there are people who consume pornographic material that are not abusing their partners. It's problematic and sinful, and we think there's an inherent problem, but it's not manifesting itself in direct abuse of their partner. And however, in abusers, uh, it is manifesting itself as direct abuse of their partner. So I think it is a balancing act because we don't want to get to a place where we say that pornography use causes abuse any more than we want to say alcohol abuse causes abuse or drug addiction causes abuse. We want to see them as correlating, as contributing, and then also we want to see them, how they're used tactically because that's the other tricky thing about abuse work and why we continue to come back to the concept of control because there's no substance or issue that makes someone abusive, but any substance or issue in the hands of an abusive person can be wielded as a, as a weapon of coercion or control. And so it is, I hope I didn't make that too convoluted. It is such a complex issue that we come back to control. And so in the hands of a controlling, coercive, threatening, abusive person, pornography is incredibly dangerous and it has all of these risks of perpetuating abusive behavior against your partner. Not only does it have the worldview development belief system risks, such as contributing to dehumanization, objectification, trivialization of sex, and then um, sexual violence, it also has the behavioral risk associated with it, uh, as, we just, as we just listed, such as forced participation, forced viewing, guilt tripping, blame shifting, and others. So thank you so much for the question. I hope that helped clarify you know, what I had said in the previous episode. It is a major issue, and I, I think any time we're working with people helpers that are trying to understand abuse, we do ourselves a disservice when we hone in on just specific behavior without layering that behavior on top of intention, impact, and beliefs. What do we want? What are we thinking? Uh, what do we, what do we desire? What are we doing? You know, so and what are we feeling? So really, layering that on top of each other to say, you know, this goes beyond just the specific behavior to uh, complexities of the heart, which is why I think um, individuals who know Jesus, who who love His Word, are well-positioned, if not yet well-equipped, but well-positioned to address those matters uh, practically and purposefully. So I hope that was helpful. We will surely build on this in the future because so many things and behaviors are consistent and, and again, weaponized in the hands of an abusive person. Thank you so much again for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast. We appreciate you guys so much for being part of the PeaceWorks family. We'd love you to take that next step. If you're not yet part of PeaceWorks University, please check that out at chrismoles.org and continue to tune in here. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. Let uh, the platform you're listening on know you value the PeaceWorks podcast and, uh, and let them know uh, that you are listening. We appreciate you all so much. And until next time, God bless.